So the truth is we really can't develop and we can't grow um, in Christ uh, without a knowledge of who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. And so we're going to continue this week on the subject of righteousness and being right with God and being conscious of the fact that we're right with God. We talked last week, you know, when you have a consciousness of sin, uh, I almost hesitate to start with that because it's going to like throw you off because then sin is, sin is a very big evil word that, you know, people are like, ah, but uh, sin really is just missing the mark. Okay, uh, you got a target, you're supposed to hit like the bullseye, and you didn't hit the bullseye. You hit like one circle beyond or two circles beyond, or like I do sometimes, you didn't even hit the target. Like you went and hit the bushes. And um, sin is simply missing the mark. And so when uh, we look at thoughts that we have coming to us or things that we see happening in the world, so much of it really comes from low self-esteem, feeling inferior, feeling inadequate, like I don't measure up, I can't do it, um, I'm not able, and really like a sense of shame. And we talked a little bit last week, really when you look at all of the, um, not all, but some of the agendas that people have, especially politically, that they're trying to push off on, on people as far as um, gender identity, and you know, you could go on and on and on with that, uh, and different things. Uh, people really are searching for a way to get rid of sin consciousness, because God created man and woman, and when He created us, He did not create us to sin. He created us to be part of His family and to be right with Him and not sin. Uh, But when Adam and Eve took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they sinned. And uh, God said, actually, in that day that you do that, you'll surely die. Well, we know that they didn't eat of that fruit and fall dead physically. But really, they died spiritually, and they were separated from God. And so that's why, you know, you learn in Romans chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, that Jesus had to come as the second Adam and redeem all of mankind from the fall of the first Adam. It says, you know, I think Romans 5, one man sinned, so therefore all are in sin. But then one man uh, came and didn't sin, lived a perfect life and a perfect sacrifice so that all could really have the life of God once again and be back in fellowship with God. And um, in the heart of every human being, because we're made in the likeness and the image of God, is a cry, is a hunger to be in right standing with God, to get rid of a messing up consciousness and to get rid of you're not good enough consciousness and you don't measure up consciousness and you're not as good as your neighbor, you're not as good as your boss, you're not as good as your pastor, you're not as good as whoever else. Like these thoughts come in many different forms in many different ways. They'll show up and they'll, they'll, they'll take form, take shape. You could say they'll manifest in different ways. And so that we're trying to accomplish something on our own or put ourselves in this position. Now, people that are not born again, and even really people that are born again don't know who they are in Christ, but I'll get there in a second. But people that are not born again search for this in any sort of way. Okay? So you see people that are drunks, uh, you know, and there's many different reasons people do that, and some people get addicted, and some people have a proclivity, and all different things. But people are like trying to hide their problems or what they are, what they're this. And then if you're trying to say, like, you can um, just decide what you are. Uh, decide what you're going to be. If you're not going to be a human, you're going to be something else. You're really trying to say like, and you want to impose it on everybody. What you're trying to say is, let's remove 
the fact that this is wrong in any sort of thought or any sort of way. Well, why is that? Okay, we might think because most of us probably here are Christians this morning. Well, that's just, you know, because we know that's wrong. Well, there is a consciousness in every human being to be made right. So if you don't have God and you don't go about with God to try and be made right, you're going to go about it through some sort of way through philosophical means, through physical means, through like just living a riotous life of partying. Like, well, if we're going to go to hell, we might as well have a good time, flesh out, do anything we want to do. And, you know, nobody can tell me what to do. What's that? Nobody can tell me what to do because God has a standard that even he can't break, which is his word. He abides by his word. Okay, and uh, I take a little a short side journey, and that is we can look sometimes at the world and think, why are there earthquakes? Why are there famines? Why is there uh, disease? Why is this? Why does God allow this? If God is a good, loving Father, why does He allow this? Because He can't do anything about it. Okay, the reason He cannot do anything about it is He said in His Word, "I have bound myself to My Word. I watch over My Word to perform it. If one bit of My Word passes away, everything, the whole earth, would pass away." And in His Word. He said, I created Adam and Eve, and I gave them dominion over everything that's on the earth, every creepy thing, everything that's on the earth. And then Adam and Eve had so much dominion that they actually usurped their dominion to the devil. And Jesus came and got it back. Okay, so I'm trying to give you a long lesson, like a really short period of time. And But that's why uh, Jesus said, uh, cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. Because he was going to heaven so the Holy Spirit could come within us and come upon us and enable us to do the same ministry that he did and drive back the forces of darkness and the forces of the enemy because God is a just God and he has set up laws and he won't even break his own laws. So he may want to help you. He may want to feed you. He may want to do this or that. He needs like flesh and blood to do it because he gave dominion to flesh and blood. And so in Christ Jesus, we actually get the lost dominion back. And we're able to stand in the fullness of what God had intended for us to be in the very beginning. So turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to start with verse 17, read through verse 21, and then kind of uh, settle down on verse 21. And we're also, we're also going to read in just a minute in Hebrews chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation, or you could say exchange, uh, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Again, I love the Amplified translation that God was personally present in Christ, making the world right with himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word or the ministry of reconciliation. Now we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's uh, stead or in Christ's place be reconciled to God. See, we are, uh, before I read 21, we are ambassadors for Christ. And so when we are ambassadors for Christ, that means we actually represent the government of the kingdom of God and the government of Christ. And so when we come as an ambassador, we actually have the backing of the kingdom for which we represent. And so we represent the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. 
And um, so he's there to back us up. Verse 21, for he has made him, that's God, has made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So God made Jesus to be sin for Jesus. No, God made Jesus to be sin for us. So Jesus was doing quite fine uh, before he came to the earth. The biggest problem was the family that God had planned was separated. The relationship and the intimacy and the closeness that God wanted with mankind who he created had been uh, destroyed, had been stopped uh, because of a lie. And um, God wanted that back. So Jesus came and he became sin for us. The one who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And I, I said before, you know, like E.W. Kenyon said, righteousness is really the ability to stand in the presence of God without a sense of weakness, fear, inferiority, failure. And when we talk about that, we're talking about uh, the way Hebrews said, that you may come boldly to the throne of grace. What's the throne of grace? Well, that's where the throne of God is. And the throne of grace really is, is a throne where you have the free favors and the blessings and the mercy of God poured out upon you, poured out upon me in every area of our life, and you have it poured out based on what Jesus did, based on what Jesus accomplished, and based on the power of his blood. So if the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to overcome uh, the sin that you have committed or the thing that you shouldn't have done or the thing that you should have done, then the power of the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to bring you into the presence of God. Because sin cannot really come into the presence of God. And so you have to be completely sinless. But what happens is we look at ourselves and uh, our own lives and we judge ourselves after uh, sense knowledge. Sense knowledge is like the knowledge we get just through our senses. And so we've learned that, you know... Um, if I use this tone with my wife, I'm going to get this reaction, <laughs> right? Um, apart from uh, the Lord, you know, helping. And so uh, that's kind of like a, a, a sense knowledge because I'm tapping into emotions. So what we see, feel, touch, hear, all of these inputs. And the best way you can see this is with little children. And of course, I use little children a lot because I'm right in the middle of having little children. And, um, you know, I think I'm done. So not having more. Don't want to prophesy that. Um, but I have little children. And so you see that uh, I don't have to teach them to try to be selfish. Right? I have to teach them to share. Now, um, three of my kids are already born again at such a young age and filled with the Holy Ghost, which is a huge blessing. And my fourth one will be real soon. Uh, but even as little Christians, they kind of get on the flesh side. And I said it before, and I don't think he'll mind when he's older. I hope not. If he does, I'll apologize to him later. But Joel, my youngest, he, uh, he's amazing because he just like, uh, I'm more introverted. He's very extroverted. So he just says whatever he thinks. And he's not ashamed to say whatever he thinks. He'll just say it. And so I told him one day, I said, Joel, I said, uh, um, you need to not talk with that tone of voice. You don't talk to your brothers and sister that way, and you do not talk to your parents that way. He said, yeah, but my body wants to. Oh, and I thought, 
he doesn't know how biblical he is. Like, as we talk about as adults, we're like, you're fleshing out. You know, what are you going to do? Flesh out. So somebody might be on a diet. They're going to flesh out. They're like, I want the donuts. I want hot now. Are they hot now? No, what are they called? Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme wants some Krispy Kreme donuts. Or, um, you know, we used to live in Gainesville when we first moved out here, and they have a place called Duck Donuts. I don't know if you've ever had, I don't know if they're all around here, but they're like these cake donuts that they make fresh, and they like melt in your mouth. And so if you're on a diet, you're going to flesh out, you could go get some duck donuts. And, um, but he is only three and a half years old. And he will say stuff like that all the time. He's like, you know, of course, if it's, he loves food. So if it's about food, he always says my body wants to. But I kind of get that, right? But I have not taught him this. He'll say, you know, he wants to have a bad attitude. And he'll be like, but my body wants to. I kind of laugh. You know, you're not supposed to laugh when you're trying to discipline a child, but I'm like, yes, I know. I understand that. Uh, but we put our body under. We bring it into subjection or underneath, uh, bring it under the word of God, um, really so that we don't miss out, like, like Paul said. And so uh, if we try to live by the senses, you know, you cannot find God by your senses. You will not find God by your senses. Many people try to search for God by their senses, but you don't contact God by your senses. Uh, Romans tells us that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Actually, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that. And um, so you're not going to contact God with your mind. God is not a mind. You're not going to connect with him through your mind. God is not a physical body. You're not going to contact or connect with him through your physical body. You contact and connect him through your spirit. So when we're talking about approaching God, we're talking about um, approaching from our hearts or from our spirits. And when we have a, a consciousness of sin, it really causes us to shrink back from God and from the things of God and from the blessings of God. So with my children, even just last week, uh, uh, one of the other kids I was uh, trying to teach them something, and they had messed up and, and done something. And I said, you know what? I said, you know when you mess up like that? It doesn't change my love for you one bit. I love you just as much. You don't take away any love, you know? Um, that's not how you discipline. That's not how you train. And that's not how God disciplines, and that's not how God trains. What happens is uh, they lose the ability to partake of some of my blessings, because they're going to lose some freedom because now they have lost some trust. They've broken an area of trust where, okay, I, I trust you with this. Like if they were old enough to have a BB gun and I trust them with the BB gun and then they shoot their brother or sister with the BB gun, what's going to happen? They're not going to have the BB gun, right? Um, but it doesn't change my love for them one bit. Well, this particular child of mine, I was talking with them and uh, I don't remember what the specific thing was, but we had another activity planned. And so they're like, well, um, I'm sad because we're not going to get to do that now. And I said, who said that? Well, because I messed up. And see, that's where we're at even as adults, right? We mess up in this little thing. Um, and uh, the interesting thing is it, normally it's something very small and the devil amplifies it and magnifies it and make you feel like you just have like destroyed your whole life and you can never come back from this failure, this ultimate failure and um, nobody's going to talk to you anymore, especially not God. Uh, but the devil, um, I think I said it last week, the devil will stick out his foot and trip you figuratively and then blame it on you that you fell. 
So he is actually the accuser of the brethren, and brethren are just people that are born again, people in the kingdom of God. So he's going to accuse you when you mess up, but he's going to be the one that's tempting you to mess up. Uh, God does not tempt anyone, the Bible says, and cannot tempt anyone. Um, But the devil will tempt you, and then when you fail and fall to his temptation, he'll blame it on you. And what's his goal? He wants to keep us out of the presence of God. Okay? And when I say the presence of God, um, it's being in close fellowship with the Lord. So don't get a, um, you know, it was foggy this morning when I drove in. I don't know if it's still foggy or if the sun has burned it off, but like you go into the presence of God and the glory cloud is there and it may be, you know, you may see a tangible uh, evidence of it. But uh, we get so um, holy and set apart that we think it's not everyday life. But what it is, is we have a hesitation to talk to God about things. And we have a hesitation to approach God. And when the devil gets us to do that, or we just do it ourselves, we can't receive from God. Because we put ourselves in a position that we're not worthy to do that, and we can't go in there, and we haven't done enough to go in there. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll read verse uh, 1 through 4. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, um, can never with the sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereto perfect. So he's just saying, under the law uh, you know, that was given to Moses, that that's just a shadow. That's just like a type. It's not the real thing. So if you could see, I don't know if you probably can't see, but I have a shadow here. That's not really my hand. That's just a shadow of my hand. That's not the real thing. And that could never make those coming clean. That could make, never make those coming worthy to come into the presence of God. Verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. So if it did, wouldn't you just stop offering because it would make you clean? Because they that worshiped once, purged, have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices are they in remembrance again made of sins every year. For it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. But, you know, to paraphrase, but the blood of Jesus does. And so what he's saying there is year after year they'd come, they'd offer the blood, they'd offer the sacrifices, and it actually caused a remembrance of sins. But when we come with the blood of Jesus, that actually removes sin from the remembrance of God. And the devil may remember it, and he may uh, be so nice as to say, do you remember what you did? I remember what you did. This is what you did. You can't do that. You shouldn't even be doing that. You can't be teaching a Sunday school class. You can't be teaching the kids. You can't be teaching the adults. You can't be praying for people. Don't you know what you did? Don't you know the kind of person you are? Uh, And as soon as he can magnify himself and get us to side in with him and, uh, heaven forbid, like uh, repeat after him, then he's got you. But the problem is the devil is defeated. The problem for the devil. So the only way he has access to your life or my life is if he can get us to believe a lie. Get us to believe that, no, we're not in the family of God. No, we're not children of God. No, we shouldn't be doing that. And then he effectively wins the battle. You know, you end up going to heaven in the end, but he wins the battle on the earth. Because he makes you inept. You know, and you don't uh, step out for God and you don't step out in the things of God. So 
verse 2, because of, uh, that the worshipers once purged should have no more consciousness of sins was the original plan in the heart of God, that we would have no more consciousness of sins and that we would no longer be affected by the consciousness of sin. So that when we um, come before God, that we don't come with what we have done, with our own uh, deeds of goodness. You realize in order to uh, go to heaven, you must be born again, Jesus said. And the way that you're born again is you actually receive. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to be the children of God. So the way that we come into the family of God and the way that we become new creatures is we come by what Jesus did, by the blood of Jesus, and we receive what he did, and we confess that. You know, Romans uh, 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confessions made to salvation. Okay? So I have prayed with person after person after person, including myself, when I got born again. And I noticed one thing. At the beginning of the prayer, there is a heaviness, there is a weight, there is an oppression. And at the end of the prayer, there is a lightness. And they will even say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died across, uh, on the cross according to my sins. And as soon as they say, and I confess him as my Lord and Savior, man, the power of God hits them. And they will sometimes stop in the middle of the prayer and they'll say, ah, it feels so much better. I feel like a weight just lifted off of me. What happened? They were just recreated in their spirit. They were made a new creature in Christ Jesus. And they have never sinned. The new creature has never sinned. The new creature has never messed up. And then after you're born again and that happens, you start to try to live life sometimes the way that you lived life before. So you try to start to try to live life by your own accomplishments and your own abilities. And then you start to get a sin consciousness because you can't do it. Uh, because none of us are perfect. Even when we're born again, we're not perfect. Uh, we still mess up and we still miss the mark. And so what we're to do is we're to come and approach God and really approach our lives with the blood of Jesus. And we approach God and our lives with the blood because the blood is perfect and the blood is spotless and the blood is sinless. And the blood was actually offered one time in the presence of God and the blood is still there and it still speaks because the blood didn't need to be offered multiple times. He went in, the Bible says, once for all. So for every one of you here, everyone on the face of the earth today that's ever lived and that ever will live, the blood of Jesus was shed. And the blood of Jesus was powerful enough to reach the darkest point of your life. And the darkest point of your friend's life and your family's life and your, the stranger's life and your enemy's life. The blood of Jesus purges, removes sin from our lives. And when we approach God with the presence, uh, excuse me, with the blood of Jesus, we come into the presence of God because we're not coming based on our abilities, based on our accomplishments, but we're coming with the blood of Jesus. So the blood of Jesus is the great like leveling stick, right? You may look at me and think, uh, you know, I have more than you. You may look at me and think I have less than you. Um, you know, I like the parable of the, uh, was it the vineyard workers, where someone in the morning and they agreed, I'm going to pay you so much, and someone in the afternoon, oh, I'm going to pay you so much, it was the same amount, and someone in the afternoon, I'm going to pay you so much, it was the same amount. 
so somebody may like live a terrible life their entire life and be a, what we would call a, a terrible uh, lifestyle. And right before they take their last breath, uh, they're born again. They come right into the kingdom of God, just like you or me, who I was born again at four years old. That is the love of God. Because why? His love is not based upon what we're doing. His love is based on the, fa- on the fact that he is love. And you can't do anything that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. God loves you no matter what you accomplish or don't accomplish. It does not change his love for you or his love for me. But when we get in line with the word, we experience more of his blessing and more of his ability. And the way that we do that is really we learn who we are in Christ. So stand with me if you would. The big lie that the the devil would have you believe is the way that you are is the way that you are. That's deep, right? The way that you are is the way that you are. No, if you're born again, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. There's about 131 in Christ scriptures. And when you look at the in Christ scriptures, uh, uh, verse 21 that we read there is you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That may feel, you may feel like you're the farthest thing in the world from the righteousness of God in Christ. Like, how could I do that? I, I know myself pretty well. Well, God knows you better. And uh, you can't come up with a sin or a mistake, or a problem that God is surprised at. That he says, you know what, we got to send Jesus back because he didn't fully pay for that sin. I mean, I've seen a lot over the millennium, but I've never seen that one. No, God's not surprised at your sin. He's not shocked at your sin. He's not ashamed of your sin. But he paid the price by the blood of his son Jesus for your sin. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed... If you're here this morning or you're listening online and um, you're not born again, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is a heaven and there is a hell, and they're both very real places. And God's heart, his desire, if he could say something to you right now, he would say, I want you in my family. I want you to be with me for all eternity. And I sent my son to pay the price for you. If that's you and you're here in this room, just slip up your hand. I'd like to pray with you and for you. If you're listening online, please email us, info at anchordc.org. We'll pray with you and pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've brought us into your family, that you've brought us into your presence. And Father, we will count the blood of Jesus worthy, worthy for us, Father, worthy for us to come into your presence, worthy for us to stand tall and bold in what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be. Father, we count the blood of Jesus a precious thing, and we count it precious on our behalf and on the behalf of the whole world. Father, we thank you for that blood. In fact, I plead the blood of Jesus over every one of us, over our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our affairs, everything that concerns us. Father, I thank you that you are for us, not against us, that you uh, give us a hope and a future and that you bring us right into your presence. Father, we thank you that we are your children, that we hear your voice. We don't follow the voice of a stranger. Father, I thank you that you lead us and guide us in every area of our lives. I pray for each one of us this week as we go. Father, that you'll help us to be attentive to your voice, attentive to your promptings and your urgings. 
Father, I thank you that you've sent us into this world to represent you, to bring your love and to bring your life and to bring your outlook and to bring your hope. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.